Well, good morning. Greetings to everyone here this morning. May grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to all of you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the message I have this morning, I have entitled it, A Beautiful Marriage. So I'd like to talk about marriage this morning. Now, this past week, I was asked to speak at a couple's night uh, up where Lee and Grace are from and the other families there. So that was on my mind a lot this week, and I thought it good to continue that and speak about it this morning. Our text will be Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now I realize that there are some in the audience here who immediately think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Maybe you're a youth, you're not married. Um... But I would just encourage you to take note and prepare in your mind and in your heart for the day when God would uh, have you married. And I say that because marriage is God's idea. It's um, It's not something that man came up with. And it is the norm that God expects Young people at the appropriate time of life to get married and to spend a life together with their marriage partner. In fact, one of the things I'd like to emphasize here this morning is just that it is God's idea. And the title here, A Beautiful Marriage, it is beyond just Uh, God wanting you to be married, he also wants that marriage to be beautiful. He did not intend it to be just an endurance or just to get along kind of thing. He intended it to be enjoyed. He intended it to be a blessing. He intended it to exemplify love, peace, joy, hope, All of those things, he wants a marriage to be an example. 
In fact, in our text here, he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, if we think for a moment about a church, we all like uh, the concept of a church where everything works well, there is love, harmony, joy, there is encouragement. And that is indeed what God wants in a church, and it is Christ fellowshipping, united together with his body, the church, and he wants a marriage to represent that union. So my encouragement to all of you who are married is to make your marriage Beautiful. At the couples' night, one of the uh, one of my main points and the passage I read was out of Song of Solomon, which is kind of a whole book devoted to a marriage relationship and some of the uh, details there. But a common refrain in the book of Song of Solomon is likening a marriage to a garden and to the blessing and enjoyment of a garden where things are peaceful, calm, there's fragrance there, there's, it's a relaxing place, it's a, uh, a place where you go to be refreshed. And you enjoy it. I mean, that's a picture oft repeated in the, in the Song of Solomon. So a question for us, is our marriage that way? Is that how our marriage feels? Is that how it looks? Well, you know, life is real. And a garden doesn't happen by accident. A garden is tended. A garden is built by design. A garden that is pleasant to the eye, a delight to be in, a refreshing to your spirit, and all those good things in a garden are cultivated. So if you take anything away from this message, Take that message that you need to be intentional about cultivating a beautiful marriage. And many times, I know in a, in a garden at least, there is um, the difference between average and nice and excellent in beauty is a lot of attention to detail. And so it is with the marriage. There is uh, a good deal to be gained by focusing on some of the details. Now in a message on a marriage, I can't cover nearly everything that ought to be said about it. So I just have about, uh, what, three or four points here. Didn't even number them particularly, but... One of the things uh, that is important, and I'm, I'm talking mainly about principles. I'll maybe give some application to it, but I'm talking about principles that you, can, you need to exercise in order to have a beautiful marriage. And the garden is a, is a very good illustration I have uh, had the opportunity to visit some nice gardens, public gardens that are planted and maintained for the enjoyment of people to come and, and see them. I've been to the Rose Gardens in Portland, Oregon, and there's also a rhododendron garden there in that region. Both of them very beautiful in the proper time of the year where a lot of blooming 
the rhododendron gardens. It's amazing the variety of rhododendrons, and you get uh, all kinds of colors, and and there's nice little pools here, and the grass is mowed well, and these bushes are blooming, and I've never been to the East Coast Gardens, the Longwood Gardens, I believe it is, but I've heard reports, and it's on my wish list. But the picture is something that is just well-maintained. It has, you know, it's cultivated just so. And when one goes, I mean, for myself, I enjoy plants and flowers, and I, I enjoy... Um, how a well-cultivated garden reflects care and, and uh, an eye for beauty and those kind of things. And it's, it's restful to my soul to stroll through the garden like that. Because I can appreciate that it takes a, a good bit of effort in how to, how to accomplish that. So one point I have here is that it requires consistent effort. I'd like to read several verses from Proverbs, and these are very negative in their in their um, actual meaning. The first is Proverbs chapter fourteen, verse one. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Now, a house is not built in a day, generally. And I don't think it's plucked down in a day either. In fact, if you were to pluck down a house with your hands, how long would it take? It might take a little while, but with consistent effort, if you tear off piece after piece, board after board, you know, just keep at it, you can, you can tear down a house. <laughs> That's the picture here, that uh, a wise woman buildeth her house. She does that which adds to, increases, builds but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Another one in chapter 27 of Proverbs, verse 15. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Again, very negative. But the picture is that of a consistent, continual in this case, a contentious woman. It's like a dripping on a rainy day. It just keeps dripping and dripping and dripping. It's not a deluge. It's not a flood that comes and washes everything away. It's just a continual dripping. Drip, drip. Irritating, irritating, irritating. So a consistent effort can accomplish great things. And we just read some very negative uh, sides of that. But it's important for us, both men and women, husband and wife, to realize that to build a beautiful marriage requires some consistent effort. You know, it was really nice to go to a couple's night. We had one here a few weeks back. It's a blessing. The blessing is that it's a time to just draw away, enjoy a meal, and take some thought for our marriage and to consider the importance of building up a marriage. Now just a supper, a nice supper by itself, isn't going to fix a bad marriage. It may give you some tools, and hopefully it will, and 
that's what the intent is, to give us some, you know, to stir our thinking and motivate us. And even a nice supper away where at least the ladies don't have to do the cooking. Well, maybe a few did. Thank you for those. Uh, the same was true in that supper up there. But for myself and my wife, we just showed up. And it was comfortable to sit there and eat a nice fine meal. But somebody had to put a lot of work into it. So just remember that all the good things you enjoy, uh, even in a marriage, there had to be some work put into it. And before you can sit in your garden and just enjoy the cool breezes blowing and bringing the fragrance of the flowers, then you're sitting there with your iced tea and, and all is pleasant and calm. A lot of sweat and work goes into that before you sit there and enjoy it. Or we could liken it to maybe a more utilitarian garden where you're growing vegetables. As you plant, sow your seed, set out the transplants, you tend it, it starts to grow. And as long as it's showing good progress, you're satisfied. There is satisfaction to see a flourishing garden even before it comes to fruit or full maturity because there's hope, there's promise there. And so in a marriage, you keep working on things even though you haven't seen the full fruit maybe or, the, or what you think has come to perfection yet, but you're not discouraged, you keep applying you keep working at it, and that consistent effort will eventually pay big dividends. If you look over your marriage and consider it with some depth of thought, and, and you see things that are not in order, Maybe things are greatly out of order. It's probably going to take more than just one major renovation event to fix the problem. It will probably take some consistent effort. But first you'll have to have a vision. You'll have to see what the problem is. And then you'll need to start applying some remedies. And begin to work on the problem. And now I, I would acknowledge there are sometimes things so far of order, out of order that there has to be a major renovation, a major work, and I'm not at all ignoring the reality that God has to be the one who makes our marriage beautiful. It's His, it's his work, it's His plan. What I'm talking about here is people who have been born again. They are walking uh, consistently and they have intention to make their marriage beautiful. And these are some uh, admonition to us to, to see it as something worthwhile. This thing about consistent effort you know, one of the exercises we had the other evening was for each of those there to write down on a piece of paper what your spouse does that makes you feel loved. Or the men were supposed to write down what they feel, how they feel reverenced when their wife does this or that. And the wife was supposed to write what she now she feels loved when her husband does this. So everyone wrote that down and they collected those papers without names to it and then read what was said. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, oh, you know, there was expressions of if he does this or that, if he fixes things without being told or if he helps with the dishes or he shows me expressions of love and so on and so on. And so I'm, you know, thinking, so how am I doing in this? So, yeah, yeah, I'm doing, uh, yeah, 
that's that's pretty much. And then, oh, wait a minute. Hmm, maybe it's been a few years since I did this. <laughs> you know, so if your garden gets set on a good track, that's great, but it's going to take some consistent effort to maintain it because, like I, in a practical way, found myself realizing, oh, you know, the last few years, I it's just not like it used to be. Well, consistent effort. Well, let's talk a little about the, the actual text here in Ephesians where it says, let me just turn back to that. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And in Peter, it mentions that Sarah, in her relationship with Abraham, she called him Lord. And it says, Whose daughters ye are. Now, what does it mean to... Um, here it says, submit, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Sarah called her a uh, husband, Lord. And in the end of this chapter, verse 33, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Well, the connecting thought there in these words, uh, submit, reverence, calling him Lord, the term Lord was used to express one who was over and ruling, and it was also used as a term of respect, as the dictionary gave it as uh, similar to the concept of calling a man mister or sir, or if it was a lady, you would call her ma'am, a, a term of respect, not just Oh, you guys, it was a respectful term. So the concept here, when it talks also about um, reverence, her husband, that word reverence has to do with phobia. Now, uh, and phobia can sometimes mean terrified. Does that mean the, husband, the wife is to be terrified of her husband? No, no, it means more a sense of awe a sense of respectful honor. So that works itself out in practical ways. You don't talk back. Um, and you don't... Uh, if your husband asks you to do something, what is your response? You say, what? Me? No way. Well, that's not a respectful response. There should be a sense of reverence and respect. If you feel unable to do it, there is at times a place to say so. And, but in doing that, you're, you're still respectful and, and you want to honor them. Think of how it is with the church and Christ. If Christ asks the church to do something, how should we respond as a church? What? No way. We're not doing that. Well, no. That, that was far be it from us to ever have that attitude toward Christ. And so a wife should seek to honor her husband, reverence him, Obey and respect. For the husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, 
not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. When I read this, I think of that garden I was mentioning and how it speaks in Song of Solomon about a pleasant and enjoyable, delightful place. Here Christ is seeking to have a church that is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, as husbands... When you see your wife that has a spot or a wrinkle or something is out of order, do you just complain about it? Or do you see it as your responsibility to help her to a place of being without spot or wrinkle? It won't work if you just do a a, um, what shall I call it, a full-out assault of verbal accusation and correction, that's not going to accomplish much of anything. But if you come alongside and gently speak to the need or suggest a way that, that this could be brought into line, it can be well received. This kind of leads into another point I have here, and that is communication. You know, communication is so important. It is so uh, necessary for building up a marriage. It also can be very damaging if we use wrong words. Proverbs has much to say about what words can do. Words can build up. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And oftentimes this communication needs to be a few words, a few kind words that build up a marriage rather than tear it down. A contentious woman, on the other hand, is one who would be critical and generally by words, you know, contentious with words and, and accusing and, and just always crosswise. Those things, when repeated often, set a pattern. But likewise, or contrarywise, if you have kind words, encouraging words that build up day after day, Now, communication is important. There are times when we need to share concerns or feelings, like I, I was hurt by what you did, and, or could you please do something different? Could you change? But there is a balance we need to have, as in all things in life, there is a balance in communication and on the one hand, we need to be open, honest, willing to express our feelings and share. But then there's the other side, too, that there are times we just need to overlook the little irritations or the difficulties that we have. Well, think of yourself. If your faults were constantly spoken of, and this can go both ways, whether it's the husband or the wife, How would that make you feel? Now, you all know that you have faults. That's not a secret, especially in a marriage. You have your faults. And if your faults were focused on, spoken of often, and just every day reminded of your faults, reminded of your faults, I mean, that's not going to affect much change, not, not very likely or not very willingly. But if the truth and if your strong points were spoken of often and you were encouraged in that, that can inspire you to do even better. And so my point is that there can be a time of a, or just a 
letting it all out where I, you know, tell you where all you went wrong and, and why I don't like what you did and, and all of that is just not healthy for a marriage. It needs to be done with balance. So, while there are times when there needs to be communication, even hard communication, and even with tears, there's also a balance that we don't just focus on the other partner's faults and, and keep repeating them and repeating them. And one that is very hurtful is to say, you always do it wrong or anything of that sort. In fact, we have, in our, in our marriage, we have endeavored to live by the rule that we never say never. And we avoid the word always when we're talking about what the other spouse does. And if we do use that term, it's usually an automatic out, as in a game. You're out if you use that word because, hey, we don't use that word. You know, it's, you, you've already uh, been at fault for using. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, but you get the point. It's best to to use some kindness and avoid the words always and never. The husbands, it says in, in um, Peter that they are to dwell with them according to knowledge. And I believe God has given husbands the responsibility to, to see to the health of the marriage. Now, it's, it's not that the wives are without responsibility. They, they do have, and they play a very important part. And as we read in Proverbs, you know, a foolish woman plucks down a house with her hands. But... On the whole, and in the big picture, it's the husbands who are responsible to keep things in good repair. And it's, there has to be some humility to be willing to do that and to um, apply ourselves to that, but recognize that if you fault your wife and think that she's got things all wrong, well, you need to think farther than just setting her straight and telling her what's wrong, you ought to be there with a remedy. So that it's not just an accusation that's thrown out there, but as a husband who, like Jesus said here, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And when you think about Christ... There are times that Christ came with reproof to the churches. The letters that were recorded in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there were times when he expressed his, his uh, disappointment with what they had done or what they had allowed, and he reproves them. And his goal is to present them without spot and blameless. He also encouraged the church. He commended them for the things they had done well. And it was with a word of, or the, the overall picture was that he desired their health and their well-being and their, um, their strength. He did not uh, cast them off. Although he warned that if things didn't change, you know, he would remove the candlestick and so on. But his goal was to restore, to build up. And so it should be as husbands, uh, even with our wives, to go beyond just finding fault, but actually having a remedy and seeing what needs to be done. Now I'd like to... Um,
Go to Mark chapter 9. This is kind of going to another point here. Mark chapter 9. And in particular, I want the story here of the boy with the unclean spirit. Now you might ask yourself, so what in the world does this have to do with a, with a marriage? Well, the, the reason I came to this passage is the phrase in verse 23. No, I'm sorry, not 23. Um, verse 24. In this case, the father of the child says, cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now, I'd like to ask you the question here to understand this. Was this father believing or unbelieving? He said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And it's interesting as you, as you think about the situation here, and I'm not focusing here on casting out of devils and that kind of thing. What I am focusing on is what I think is a reality many times in both in how Christ deals with us and how um, and the lesson we can draw from it is this father had a serious problem. And he didn't know what to do, and he did not feel like there was anything that he could do other than to come and ask for help. So he came to the disciples. The disciples were not able to help. They couldn't cast it out. And and here's the interesting thing that that goes into what my point is. When the disciples could not cast them out, and then they came to Jesus and explained the situation. Here's this, um, here's this boy with an unclean spirit. It's a real problem, and the disciples couldn't do it. And, and we would think, in our minds, we tend to think, okay, so here's the Master, here's Christ. He has the power. And we couldn't do it, so he comes and realizes that he needs to help. So Jesus could have said, oh yes, this is a really tough problem. Let me show you how to do it. No. He first says this, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? You think, and You will actually find that a number of times when there was dire situations and people came to Jesus for help. Yes, he had compassion, but there was a number of times where he reproved them for their lack of faith or their unbelief. And we think to ourselves, what was I to do? There there was no hope. There was no remedy. And yet Jesus reproves them for their unbelief. So here... um, So the father comes, explains to Jesus what the problem is, and then Jesus says this in verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Well, actually, I skipped over verse 22, where the father, in in explaining the problem, he said, But if thou canst do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. The father didn't know what to do. He was just, he had no recourse other than to appeal. And he said, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. And then Jesus seems like it almost turned to the father's responsibility. He said, if thou canst believe all things are possible... To him that believeth. 
And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now here's the application to a marriage. You know, in, in a marriage, sometimes things get really difficult. And you're tempted to think that there is nothing I can do. It's their fault, whether it's your husband or your wife. And you think to yourself, there is, I've tried this and it just has not been remedied. It's their fault. But you know the reality is most times when there's problems in a marriage, there's, there's two sides to things. And while, yes, it may primarily be the fault of one spouse or the other, in reality there's often something that the other spouse could or should be doing. And it's seldom just one-sided. And that's what I see in this account here. There seemed to be a level of, of requiring faith or believing on the part of the Father for Jesus to be able to work. And he told him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And so... The response of the father, I see, is humility. He was, says with tears. He said, Lord, I believe. He acknowledged that he believes, but he said, help thou mine unbelief. And it seems humility there in acknowledging that even though he had some faith, whatever was lacking, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And that's a good thing to remember in a marriage difficulty, especially one that just seems impossible to resolve or restore, be open to the possibility that there is something that you could and should be doing. Before you just say, it's my spouse's fault, it's not something I can fix, we need to cry out and we can pray that God would help us and we might feel helpless and there is a sense where we certainly do need God's help that we can't, you know, we can't do it on our own, just like this father. But when we have reproof or someone tells us something we could do, let's be humble enough to just say, Lord, help mine unbelief. Wherever I'm lacking, help me to do what I ought to. And that can go a long ways in resolving difficult problems. Now let's go back to our text here in Ephesians. It says in verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the body. I'm sorry, this is the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What I want to note here is just the, the understanding that as husband and wife, we are one body, one flesh. And so when we are working to build our marriage, it's not just for our own gain. Uh, in other words, we should be focused on the other partner as well, and that will, in the end, it will be gain for us. 
as a, as a husband here, it says, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. It's just a basic principle. We should treat others as we would love to be treated ourselves. And especially in a marriage, a man says, nourisheth and cherisheth it, his own, his own body, he takes care of it, and so he is responsible to care for his wife. When he does that, he is, he is actually um, making things better for himself. But again, it's not directly uh, for his own sake, but it's for her sake, so that together you might be heirs together. As it says in Peter, heirs together of the grace of life. And it even says there for the husbands that uh, they should do that, uh, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessels, that your prayers be not hindered. So your relationship with God can be affected by how you, uh, how you treat your wife. So God expects us to care one for another. says here, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. As I mentioned in the beginning, God expects beautiful marriages. And he does desire that we enjoy, just like the picture there of a garden, you'd be able to sit down and be refreshed and, and everything is pleasant and lovely. That's how God wants our marriages to be. But again, it requires a lot of effort and a lot of work to get it to that place. And there is an aroma that comes out of a good marriage it is a testimony to the grace of God. And that's how God meant it to be. He wanted it to uh, adorn the doctrine of God. Now just consider how damaging it can be for a marriage to be falling apart, distressed, out of order, and that being a picture that people see for what, for what the Christian life should be. In fact, there's, it's possible that some marriages are in such disarray and so much strife that it becomes discouraging to youth as they observe that and think, hmm, if that's what married life is like, I'm, I don't know that I want to get married. And that's... That's sad. That ought to be how it is. There should be joy and love abounding so that it's actually desired. When you think of the work of the church, the kingdom of God, Do you have visions of some great work that the church ought to be doing or some foreign mission where you go out and tell, preach the gospel, there's evangelists, there's prophets and teachers? Well, that's all necessary and very important. That may be what you would call a primary work. But along with that, building up our marriage is a testimony of the grace and work of God. And if we expect to be out there as missionaries and teachers and instructors, we need to make sure it's working at home before we export it to some other place. And that's how God looks at our marriages. Maybe as a little bit of a parallel illustration, I've discovered in our, uh, in our work as we go out and about that one of the testimonies of our company is the fact that we're a family business and they see us 
or, and this isn't always immediately obvious, but they generally ask or maybe find out that, oh, this is family, and this is dad and his boys, and, or maybe there's all the brothers on the crew, and then their sister runs the office. And it has frequently been commented on as a testimony. Now, sometimes I tremble when I think of, um, you know, it's, it's not without its uh, needs for improvement as far as relationships and so on. It's, um, but I'm reminded of how important it is to have good relationships because people are watching. And the point I want to make is that isn't necessarily the first thing we're setting out to do. We're, we're out to do business, and we want a good testimony. We want to do honest business. And we're not necessarily going out there to, to um, show everybody what a, what a good family does. It's all secondary, but nevertheless, it's very important. It's a good testimony. And likewise, when we think about the work of the church, you may think, well, we think of preaching, we think of evangelism, and we think of all those things. But along with that, there needs to be a good testimony of marriages that are strong. And that this is what represents Christ and the church and how that should work. So, let's build our marriages. Let's not just wait for once a year for a couple's night. Let's make it a consistent effort. Uh, putting some thought into what can I do, what should I be doing to improve my marriage. And it needs to be coupled with Yes, special things, special events, but if they're not um, carried along by those daily, daily efforts, the little things that build up a marriage, um, you'll end up in vain with just trying to do it with one, uh, one special event. So let's let's put our Put our beliefs to practice. May God bless.